0: Good morning Church and thanks for joining us this Sunday morning for our sermon. Fortunately we're not together in person yet but hopefully someday soon we will. It's my pleasure to be able to share with you this message today. It's one I had to do for an assignment for my course and so the senior pastor allowed me to share it with you uh, this morning. And we're going to be looking at Revelation 2 verses 1 through to 7, and that's the letter to the church in Ephesus, and we'll see why that's very applicable to us today. But before we get to that, I want you to imagine a big tree full of fruit, a uh, ripe, juicy fruit, uh, and yet when you taste this fruit, it is really bland and insipid. Or imagine an athlete who has trained diligently for a marathon, but at its completion he feels no joy that all that effort went into the training and that was for nothing. Likewise, or lastly, imagine a church, a church that is so on fire for God, so doctrinally sound, so unfaltered with its works and deeds, and yet that church does not really know who Jesus is. And this is where many of us can easily and ashamedly so find ourselves today, We might have everything on the outside right, but on the inside, we have forgotten our first love, our priority love, and that is Jesus. So let's remember Jesus in all that we are and all that we do. And before we begin with Revelation 2, let's pray quickly. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that um, as we read, you will teach us and speak to us, and we pray that It will be illuminated to us uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Please help us not to speak into your word, but that you will teach us and that we will receive it with open hearts and open ears. In Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty. Let's go. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. This is to the church in Ephesus. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, and repent Sorry, I think I, I missed the first bit there. <laughs> verse 1, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstones. I forgot to put that in italics, so I missed that out. That was verse 1. So we know that God is not impressed with our good works. Isaiah 64 says our righteous deeds are like filthy rags uh, to the Lord. However, we know that righteous deeds are also a part of our faith. James 2, verse 26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So, what is the middle path? It has to be Jesus. And that brings us to our first lesson today, and that is Jesus is the first of our works, our deeds. We know that Jesus is the head of the church, the body of believers. And the Ephesians certainly knew this because Paul writes to them, He put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. This is Paul writing to the Ephesians in his letter, Ephesians 1.22. What does this mean exactly? Well, it means that Jesus, like I said, is the first of our works. In other words, he is the aim, the motive and the cause for everything we do. We see in chapter, in verse 2a, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance. We know the angel of, or he's writing to the angel of the church in Ephesus and that Greek word angelos means messenger. So he's writing to the pastor, the overseer of the church by implication. Um, But that doesn't mean it's just to the pastor, it is to the church. And then he talks about having seven stars in his right hand. That represents Jesus' authority, and the seven golden lampstands are the churches, the churches in Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. And uh, that's uh, how, int- how Jesus is introduced the one who has ultimate authority and the one who is the overseer of the churches. So, he who has ultimate authority and he who is the overseer of these churches, he writes this. These are the words of him who who has authority and oversees the church. And John says this in an almost Old Testament prophetic declaration, Thus says the Lord. It's almost like that. It's this declaration. Jesus says, I know your works. He has not forgotten our works. He has not overlooked our works. He hasn't ignored what the church is doing. He knows their works. He oversees the churches. He has the authority. He sees and he knows their works. Now obviously this would be a rather frightening statement if these were questionable works. It would be unfortunate for us if after you've successfully landed the pea shot of the year on your classmate's forehead that your teacher turns around and declares he knows your works. That would be quite scary and unfortunate. But you see, this Ephesian church, this church to whom John is writing, they had nothing to worry about. Jesus says, I know your works. He knows their patient endurance, their toil. You see, unlike the pea shooting, these works have received commendation from the teacher, not rebuke, they have received commendation. Such as a well done project, a well written essay, or a well spoken oral. The student, the church, has received an applause. From the teacher, who is Jesus. That is because it is the teacher's standard for which the student aims. Hence, the Ephesian church has met Christ's expectations regarding their works and have been commended for their efforts. But you see, they have also forgotten that Christ is actually the first of their works. So, this church has done everything right, they've done what Christ has required of them. And yet they have forgotten that Jesus is the first of their works. Our faith is only in action if we have works for Jesus. Our faith is not in action if we only have works. Our faith is in action if we have works for Jesus, unto Jesus, in Jesus. Paul understood this when he writes, whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Not working for the church, we're not working for the pastor, we're not working for ourselves. Not for men, we're working as for the Lord. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That comes from Colossians three, twenty-three to 24. So it's all about Jesus. He is the first of our works. So while we have works that are for Jesus, we also need faith. That is for Jesus. And that brings me to my second point. Jesus is the first of our doctrine, or the first of our faith. We look at verse 2 3. How you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. And if we skip ahead to verse 6, yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. This church had sound doctrine, they knew the truth and they had knowledge of the gospel. Here again, we see Jesus recognizing the church's positives, specifically their proficiency in the truth. I'd encourage you, if you want to, have a more exegetical explanation of the scripture that you watch John MacArthur's sermon on this topic. But he talks about this church having discernment. And discernment is we know evil because we know evil the truth. This church knew how to expose evil only and only because they knew the truth. They had discernment. And that truth is the gospel with all its teaching and its good, sound, biblical, Jesus-centered doctrine. Moreover, they endure patiently in this doctrine. While everything around them might seem difficult to uh, to act in and to have their doctrine in, they endure, bearing up for his namesake, without growing weary. They have endured the gospel in the gospel, facing persecution, oppression, false teaching and temptation. Verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake. You have not grown weary. Jesus knows that this church was patiently enduring in his gospel in the face of all this difficult stuff. Ephesus, like many of the ancient cities, was a pagan city full of evil people and practices. And Jesus knows the condition of this church and he knows the condition of their theology within the context of all this stuff. How solid and steadfast this church is. And it's remarkable that this church receives the commendation that it does. It stands testament to their unwavering position on doctrine. He speaks also about the Nicolaitans. Now, the Nicolaitans, as an example of what they were facing, were a group linked with the Balaam worship. And these were people in the Old Testament, specifically mentioned in Numbers, who used foreign Midianite women to woo the Israelite men away from their religion. They would seduce them and and capture them and tear them away from their religion. You know, with sexual immorality and that kind of stuff. It was a ploy to turn them away from God. Now, Interestingly enough, Nicholas, the name, also means conqueror or destroyer. So the Nicolaitans were probably people tearing people, wooing people away from good practice from God through sexual immorality. Or maybe in a more modern context, we have the prosperity gospel preachers promising you with health and wealth. And that's wooing you away from God. And these people hated their works. That's Good doctrine. They could discern that this was bad because they knew the truth and they avoided it. So Jesus recognises this ability. He recognises the church's ability to, to test those who call themselves apostles but are actually not. And he commends them on their ability to expose false teaching. And in terms of teachers, teachers of truth, this church had the cream of the crop it was nurtured by the likes of Priscilla, Aquila, Paulus, Paul, Timothy, even the Apostle John who writes Revelation. So this church had excellent teachers and the gospel would have been driven into them. The truth about Jesus would have saturated their hearts and minds. It was so, they were so full of truth that compromise was an unknown concept. It was all Jesus and only Jesus. Yet it was not actually Jesus. Jesus. It was just deed and doctrine. You see, this is very much like the Jews today. They are so focused, and the Jews in Jesus' day, they are so focused on their deed and doctrine, on their tradition, that they have missed their first love. They have missed their priority love, which should be God and Jesus by implication. Their steadfastness in the truth meant that they should have anchored their faith and their hope in Jesus. But they had forgotten Him. They had forgotten their priority love. Jesus became a doctrine rather than a love. I mean, go to Israel today and you'll see how orthodox these, some of these Jews are. Men won't look at women walking by them. It could be the most unattractive girl coming past and they'll still turn their heads so as not to commit sin of lust. They walk around with Torah verses strapped to their bodies. They pray constantly day and night. They weep bitterly at the destruction of their temples that happened thousands of years ago. They recently had a tish ba'av, I think it's called, or Tisha ba'av, which is this day of mourning for their temples. And they're weeping, genuine tears, this bitter sorrow. That's how devout they are how devoted they are to their deed and doctrine and tradition, to their religion. And we are like that in many ways. We are so maybe devout, devoted to the church, to our works, to our doctrine, but we have forgotten Jesus. And that brings me to my third point. Jesus is the first of our love, our priority love. I'm reminded of Paul's description of the meaninglessness of love in deeds and doctrine. He says in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 to 3, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to the hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Imagine how much more worthless these things would be, not without love but without Jesus, without Jesus being the first of our love. Verse 4, but I have this against you, you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore, verse 5, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The Ephesian status as a church is at stake here. They are so far from Jesus at this point, from their first love of Jesus at this point, that they are in danger of losing their discipleship. They are in danger of of not being called the church anymore. That's how far they have strayed from Jesus. That's why Jesus says, remember from where you have fallen, repent and turn away from that place. And that place is not a physical or even an emotional place. It's not an emotional state of being. Practically and emotionally, this church is good. We can see their deeds and their doctrine. Rather, it's remember from where you have fallen spiritually. Remember where you were when you met Jesus, your first love. Go back to that place when you first repented and accepted Jesus, how much you loved him. Remember that Jesus is also your first love, so he's the first of your repentance. He should be the first of your repentance. Remember your conversion, the time when your eyes were open to the truth, when you started to hate the things you used to love, and you started to love the things you used to hate. Remember your love for his word, your fervent prayer, the joy in meeting with one another, the excitement in telling others about Jesus. Remember your Jesus and what he did for you, and how your life changed when you met him. That's what he's talking about Yeah, A healthy church has truth and love, and many churches either passionately pursue the truth, but it's, it's dry and tasteless. And there's no love. That's what happened here at the Ephesian church. And on the other extreme, we see churches that compromise the truth in the name of love and, and unity and the spiritual experience. Now, and with a bit of irony for you, probably one of the Nicolaitans of our time, wooing people with health and wealth, is Benny Hinn. But he says, If you have only the truth, you draw up. If you only have the Spirit, you blow up. But if you have Spirit and truth, you will grow up. And I thought that's quite a remarkable thing. If we have the Spirit and the truth, we will grow up. The Apostle John says this beautifully. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. 1 John 4 verse 8. So how can we love others if we do not love Jesus? How can we love them through our works? How can we love them through our doctrine? How can we love Jesus through our works and doctrine if we do not know Jesus, if we do not love Jesus? You see, we cannot know God if we do not love God. And we cannot love God if we do not know God. The two go together. We have to love and know God. We can't choose the one and not the other. They go together. Jesus is the first of love, therefore he's the first of our repentance. Therefore he's the first of our faith, the first of our doctrine. Therefore he's the first of our deeds. Jesus is the first. He's in the first position of every facet of our lives. He has to be. If he's not the first love, then everything else falls flat. And then right at the end of Revelation Two in verse 7, well not at the end, but in the end of this passage in verse 7, there's this beautiful exhortation. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is to everyone now. He who has an ear, let him hear. To the one who conquers, I will grant eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. What an amazing promise that we can hold on to. To the one who conquers, he will grant to eat from the tree of life. He will grant heaven and eternity with with our Lord will be our reward if we overcome, if we persevere in love. Firstly in love, then in faith and in deeds. And this is why it is so crucial to keep Jesus in the first position because it's all about Him. And that's why we should be able to declare if Jesus is our first love, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Psalm 145, 1 to 3. You see, Jesus is the first. We need to be declaring that in everything we do. So, to round up, Jesus is the first of our works, the first of our doctrine, and the first of our love. Now, that should actually be in the other order. Jesus is the first of; uh, should be the first of our works because he's the first of our doctrine and faith, because he is our first love. Do you get it? Jesus is our priority. We may have faithful deeds and be faultless in our knowledge of the truth. We may have a sterling church with a zeal for the Lord. But without a zeal for love, without a zeal for our priority love, Jesus, we are lost on a path of nothingness and we can forfeit our discipleship because we don't know Jesus anymore. We've strayed so far away from him. But with Jesus at the forefront of our church and our spiritual lives and our love and our deeds and our knowledge, we'll be so entwined in his grace That we will learn to love him more and more. Because he is the first. Number one. So the question remains for us today. Have you forgotten your first love? Do you have deeds, doctrine, repentance, maybe even love for one another to an extent? But you have no Jesus. Then you are in danger of losing your discipleship. You see it is time for us to remember From where we have fallen, repent and turn back to the love we had at first. To our priority love, who is Jesus. Remember, repent, return. And lastly, receive. Remember, repent, return to your first love and receive the reward. The gift of paradise. Eternity with our first love. Our Jesus do you remember your Jesus? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this wonderful word that we could read this morning. Oh Jesus, we haven't always been faithful to you as our first love, our priority love. We may have deeds and doctrine. We may be so confident in your knowledge. We may be spending so much time learning about doctrine and That we can, we even have discernment. We might even have such deep discernment that we can expose the slightest bit of evil. But Lord Jesus, without love, without you, without loving you, without having you as our priority, love, we have nothing. And we recognize that this morning. Father, please forgive us. Please help us to repent, to turn, um, and to return to your love, to return to the love that we had at first which is you. And thank you for the reward that we have for keeping you as our first love An eternity with you forever and ever. We bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, that we could meet together in this way. Even though we're not in person, we know that you're still with us and your Holy Spirit is still living in us and nothing can take that away from us. Nothing can separate us from your love and nothing can separate us from you being with us. And we bless you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us. And hopefully very soon we'll be back in person together. Have a blessed week. Goodbye.